we all like to read accounts and stories of people who have gone through very difficult times, very stressful, arduous times, very horrendous, perhaps, circumstances, and they've been able to come out the other end in, in, a, in a glorious, triumphal experience. I appreciate so much hearing uh, Iobami's message last Sunday um, of uh, Bishop Samuel Crowther, the Nigerian who endured so much and yet left such a tremendous imprint on Nigeria and indeed perhaps Africa. Uh, what Dr. Oyobori didn't say, he didn't have to say this, but one of the joys for me is I watch the landscape of the world, and you may not know this, but the bright light of Anglicanism is in fact in Nigeria. All around the world, uh, that denomination has moved to a more, what is called progressive Christianity, a liberalization of the truth. But particularly in Africa and in Nigeria, the Anglican Church is still a strong evangelical witness for Jesus Christ. And I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with the tremendous men and women who have served there over the years. Thank you, Dr. O, for that message. What a, what a joy to, to be able to see someone go through tremendous, arduous circumstances and yet become a shining light for Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches us that the circumstances that come our way can either produce good or it can make things worse. In James chapter 1, if you recall, there, that there's an intent for difficult circumstances to produce perfection and ma maturity in us. But arduous and difficult circumstances can also go the other way. In the Bible, in, or I should say in the New Testament, there's a Greek word, parasmos. Parasmos, it's a Greek word, and it's a neutral word. And if you had a, a Greek interlinear Bible or a, or a Strong's Concordance, uh, in the New Testament you'd sometimes read the word testing or test, and that is parasmos. But the same word is also translated in some contexts, temptation. And the point of the New Testament language is to say that all of us are providentially brought by God into circumstances. In some circumstances, that can result in a testing of our faith to ensure that we are genuine, and God's intent is that we come out as pure gold. And yet the same circumstance in a different individual doesn't prove to be a testing of the genuineness of their faith. It actually proves that they are not of faith, and it becomes their failure. One person can go through a vent, and they're tempted to sin 
and fall away from the Lord, another person can go through a similar event, and it causes them to shine forth as pure gold. All of us have still, I would like to be able to say, come through COVID-19, the pandemic of 2020 that you'll all remember. We're still not through yet, but all of us have, over the last uh, nearly 16 weeks, been through a process of difficulty in varying degrees. The question that I'm posing this morning is, have you come through this with your faith caused to be seen as genuine and real, and in fact, this event has been a blessing for you, or has this circumstance caused you to even draw further away from the Lord? And it's been a temptation to sin. The only way you and I are going to know that is to go to the mirror of God's Word and compare our experience with God's Word so that we all understand again the question I'm posing this morning. As we have moved through COVID-19, will this be a testing of your faith such as it has proven you to be genuine and you are being matured and perfected? Or has this been a means where your heart has become cold and withdrawn to the things of God? Let's pray together. You are the Word, Lord Jesus. You are the living Word. You are the one that pierces into my heart and our hearts, right through to the right through to the marrow, to the innermost part of our being. And you know our hearts. We can't kid you. We can't play games with you. You see us as we actually are. Cause your word to show us who we are. Not for the means of condemnation and not for the means of dis discarding us, but show us who we really are so that we might be ever encouraged to follow you even more closely and more diligently in our walk. Discipline us this morning by your grace that we might be able to strengthen our arms and run swiftly. So as we look in your word, help us. Help us to see who we are. And all for your glory, we pray. 
Amen. My text this morning is from Psalm 84. Psalm 84. I'm going to read it, take some time to unpack it and apply it to my life and your life this morning. Psalm 84. I'm going to read the subscript just to uh, that I might refer back to it in a moment. Psalm 84, to the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. I ask you to keep your eyes on your Bible, on the psalm, as I point out a few things. There's only all that we know about this psalm as to who wrote it, when it was written, the, the, the historical background. All that we know about it is found in the superscription, and in the psalm itself. That's it. So we go based upon what we see before us. We see that it was written by the sons of Korah. They were Israel's worship team. They sat down and they wrote a song, and they wrote it for the worship leader, the choir master. The term gittith is, is a term that is debated. It either is a type of musical instrument, or it's a type of music, a type of genre of music. Remember, this is a song. So these sons of Korah sat and they wrote this psalm. In verse 9, they, they pause parenthetically and they pray for the king, the anointed of Israel. 
So this indicates to us that this psalm was written before the exile, while, king, while the kings were still ruling over Israel. I believe from my study that it's, there are three distinct stanzas in this psalm, and they're divided after, at the end of verse 4 and at the end of verse 8 with the term Selah. We don't know what it's a term that, that means stop, think. Think about what was just said, saying, and that could be wounds. So I look at this psalm, and I see three distinct stanzas. The word sila tends to divide those three stanzas. Those stanzas are also identified to me as an expositor, because I see that in verse 4, the stanza ends with blessed. In verse 5, it starts with blessed. And again, at the end of the third stanza, it ends with blessed. So there's three distinct stanzas. These sons of Korah wrote this because... Within Israel's history, the nation would be called from time to time to come to Mount Zion to enter into worship as a unified nation. So from all over Palestine, people would gather. If you were to take a, a Google Earth look at Palestine at that time, you would see files of people, pilgrims as you were, walking along the roads, all heading towards Jerusalem. And as they approached Jerusalem, they'd look up on the hill called Mount Zion, where the temple was, and they're all moving along these roads, some coming from long distance over the, from the nation, some from back countries. They had been walking for days, and they were walking towards this hill that they were going to ascend and they would all gather and join together in common worship. Some may have come from very, very long distances. In verses 1 to 4, the first stanza, I believe that what we have here is an expression of the heart of a true worshiper. That's the first point, the heart of a true worshiper. Listen to the words again. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at, her, at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Can you picture this procession of worshipers as they're walking along the trail, as they come to the hill and they're ascending the hill, and as they see the temple, they cry out, my soul longs, yes, faints to be there in the presence of God 
and in the presence of his people. I even detect a holy envy in this psalm. Perhaps one of the worshipers saw from the temple hill sparrows and swallows flying in and out. And they knew that those sparrows and swallows lived in the crevices of the temple. And what did it do to their heart? They said, I wish I was a sparrow. I wish I was a swallow that I could always be in the presence of God, in the presence of his people, that I could always dwell there. I could make my nest there. I could raise my young in the courts of the Lord. Oh, that I could be there. Beloved, do you see the longing of these people? The physical weakness, the longing to be in God's presence with God's people. To be like the birds who are ever singing in the presence of God. Their hearts are are, are famished for fellowship. They're starving for spiritual nutrition. They have come a long way, and they can't wait to be there. They can't wait to hear the Levitical choirs singing songs. They can't wait to hear the law being read and expounded. They can't wait to interact with other Israelites in that courtroom. Do you wonder why I call this the, the heart of the worshiper? Do you know what that's like? Is there anybody here that knows what that's like? To feel that, that hunger for fellowship? That, that starvation for spiritual food? That's how they felt. And here we have our first test as we look into the mirror of God's Word. Could it be that this pandemic has produced in you and I an increased passion to be in God's presence with God's people singing His praises all the time? Could that be? Could it be said of you and I that every week, these last 16 weeks, every week that we've been in isolation, there has been an insatiable longing in our hearts, oh, that to be in the presence of God with his people. It, I wonder if that's true of you. I wonder as you look at the mirror, if you see that hunger in your soul. When we look further into the second stanza, I've called it the confident care of the worshiper, verses 5 to 7, or 5 to 8. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs 
The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The picture here is now a group of, of, of pilgrims going through maybe dry uh, desert country, going through a valley. We don't know much about this valley of Baca, but it's obviously a fearsome, difficult valley to walk through. But in their excitement, in their joy, as their heart is set on going to Zion, even that difficult circumstance that they're walking through turns into a lush, productive experience. The place that is dry is filled with springs. And of course, this is poetic language. This is a song. The image that's being, being created for us is that these worshipers whose heart is truly set on being in the presence of God with His people, even in the difficulty of the, what their journey is like, they feel that God is giving them strength after strength. Do you see that? Even though the diff, there's a difficulty to the journey, they sense that God is enabling their feet to move that God is filling in the dry parts with water and refreshing their journey. I want you not to miss that. Because their heart is set on worshiping God, God enables their feet to move. I have to say that again because that's so important to this stanza. Because their heart is set on worshiping God, God enables their feet to move. The grace of God turns what has been normally a difficult journey into a journey of joy. And it's a confident joy. They know they're going to appear before God because God is enabling them. Each one appears before God in Zion, the songwriters say. Each one. Therefore, their journey, their journey that's difficult becomes a journey of joy. They have full confidence they're going to reach Jerusalem. They have full confidence they're going to, they're going to go into Zion and meet with God. They're going to see God, the God who is above all gods, the Lord of hosts. They know they're going to go there because their heart is set on that, and He enables their way, their travel. This comes to my second test. This is the second test. When you recount the COVID days, are you going to be able to say what a blessing those days were? The days were tough, arduous, lonely for some. But because your heart has been set on God, every turn, every day turned out to be a blessing. What would, be, what would it be like when the history book has been written for us? And people remember that you lived in 2020 through this pandemic. Will you have the heart of a worshiper 
who says, every day was a blessing. God gave me strength upon strength upon strength. He filled in the valleys with joy. Then the psalmist in verse 9 stops parenthetically. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening to the king. But in verse 9 we read, Behold our shield, O God. That's speaking, that's metaphoric language of the king. Look on the face of your anointed. They, pray, they, 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 they prayerfully sing that God would bless their king. Now, I think there's a short insert here for you and I. It at least brings me to a place where I need to be humble and contrite. It brings me to a place of even confession. And the question that the mirror, the mirror poses in my heart is, Jim, how have you been looking upon your leaders during these difficult days? Have you spoken with respect and honor to your prime minister and your premier and those in leadership? The question to get posed to me by this insert, this parent, parent, parenthetical thought, the question is posed to me is, have I been praying for the leaders of this nation or have I been the armchair quarterback that has sat in criticism using derisive, derisive names? Beloved, these men and women that have been charged in our country to be our prime minister and cabinet and our government, including Premier Kenny and his government and others, do you remember, according to Romans 13, that they are appointed servants of Almighty God and they have authority because God has given them authority. And before you, and perhaps you ought to do the same thing, we need to repent of the callous and cynical and derisive comments to our leaders. You see, the heart of the worshiper gives honor to the king. The heart of the worshiper prays for the king and those in authority. Lastly, we read in the fourth stanza, verses 10 to 13. This is their testimony. As I fast forward in my thoughts, I wonder if this would be my testimony months and days and months and years later. I wonder if it'd be yours. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. The climax of this song is an expression of the worshipers testifying 
to the goodness of God as they as their heart was set on worship. They said that to be one day in the presence of God and to be in the presence of His people was better than being a thousand days anywhere else. They said to be in God's presence in His courts, in fellowship with His people, was better, more superior to spend thousands of days elsewhere. They said that just being a doorkeeper is better than being doing anything else. Just being the person that wipes the handrails is better than going and living anywhere else. Just being the person that cleans the washrooms is better than doing anything else. Just being here this morning, whether you're joining us live or you're here in in the sanctuary, just being here this morning and engaging in live musical worship and meeting with one another and hearing the Word of God read and now hearing the Word of God preached, just being here this morning is better than a thousand other places. There ought to be a couple amens out of that. Because there are people who thought this morning that some other place was better to be. You know that. You know that there was a conscious decision on some people's parts that I would rather be elsewhere than to be worshiping with God's people. I can't beat you up. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. But remember that. The testimony of these worshipers was to be in the presence of God with God's people was better than being anywhere else for thousands of days. The worshiper testifies to the fact that God has been a sun and a shield. The sun speaks as God has given me life. He's my source of life and light. And he's my shield. He, he protects me. And then we, then we read these amazing words. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now think of the historical context. Where are these people walking? They're walking through dry, arid land. They're eating picnic lunches, if anything. Parents are trying to care for children as they make this long pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to climb that hill of Zion. And yet at the end of the day, when you ask them, how was it? They tell you, well, to be here is better than being anywhere else. If I can just be a doorkeeper here, that's all I care about. And then the second thing is, or the third thing is, they say, God hasn't held one good thing from me in this journey. No good thing does he withhold 
That reminds us of Romans 8.28, doesn't it? For we know that all things work together for good. To whom? To those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. No good thing has he withhold. Imagine the testimony of Elk Point Baptist Church in the months and years that follow when people ask you, what was your experience like as you went through COVID-19, the pandemic of 2020? And you said, you know what? God didn't keep one good thing for me. And some of you that will say that have lost your job. Boom, that hit hard. You feel it land. Some of you have lost retirement income. And God has not withheld one good thing from you. Why? Because your heart was set on worship. Your heart was set on worship. Beloved, there are two applications to this psalm, I believe. The first is contemporary. It involves us right now. And the second is eschatological, future. The present contemporary application of this psalm is the fact that you and I have been isolated from one another for the last 16 weeks. And thankfully, I've heard from some of you, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. I was blessed to hear that from some of you. From this church, there were people that had a longing attitude to regather again with God's people in worship. And I will say to you un unashamedly, that is the heart of a worshiper. That is the heart of a true child of God. And I pray that that's true of you today. If there's someone who names the name of Christ and they, you find no desire for communal worship, no longing to come together in the presence of God with his people, if you're listening to me and your heart cares little about things like this, then I have to say kindly, your heart needs repair. It really desperately needs repair. It's a dangerous heart. It will mean that this parasmos that we've gone through is going to lead you to sin and despair instead of joy and exaltation. I am fearfully afraid for those who care nothing of common worship with God and with other people. But beloved, there's also an eschatological 
idea that runs through this psalm. What I mean by that is, this is also a spiritual journey that all true children of God are on, because Zion is no longer in Jerusalem. Amen? Zion is no longer in Jerusalem. In fact, Zion will never be in Jerusalem. Isaac Watts understood this when he penned these words. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. To fairer worlds on high. If you're a Christian and you're hearing this message this morning, you're like Abraham. Your heart is set on a better city, a city not made with hands. Hebrews 11.2. And you will find in yourself, if you're a genuine believer, the same longing to be with the Lord in heaven and all the saints of all time. You will find in your heart this desire in this pilgrimage that we're all on. You will find yourself at times having a tremendous longing, a famishing of soul, a starvation of soul, oh, to be in the presence of God and the innumerable angels and the elect of God from all ages and all time, worshiping the King in heaven forever and ever. That's what you'll find in your heart. So this psalm not only has historical application and contemporary application, it also has a future application for all those who are truly of God. And just like these Israelites, you and I who have a longing for heaven, just like these Israelites, if our heart is set on heavenly things, you will find that God will enable your feet. The journey will become joyous. And your testimony when you get to heaven is, he didn't withhold one good thing from me. You see, the point of the psalm is because their heart is set on worship, God enables their feet. During this COVID-19 experience, it's likely that some of you found deeper, richer ways to worship God than you ever had before. The extra time allowed you to read more, study more, meditate more. For some of you, the restriction drew you closer to Christ. Your heart was warmed by his affection and kindness every day of this isolation. For some of you, because you were isolated as families, you found new ways to do things you had never felt you had time before. Some of you might have experienced 
father and mother gathering children and having family worship. Why? Because you now had time. And this whole experience of COVID has been a blessing because it has drawn out, drawn you into a closer walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also possible that for some of you, this COVID experience has actually caused you to wander further away. The extra time was spent on the thousand days elsewhere instead of the one day of blessing. I'm not here to beat you up for that. But I want you to look at yourself very carefully in the mirror of God's Word. We've just gone through 16 weeks of barrenness, and there will be people in Elk Point Baptist Church who have been tested and tried. Their faith has been proven genuine, and they have emerged as gold. And for the others, it will be a temptation to sin to find idols in other places and waste these days. Perhaps you're here this morning or listening and you find a conviction taking place in your heart. You've been starving. All the one another's in the New Testament have been missing from your life, praying for one another, encouraging one another, bearing one another's burdens, and all these things have been missing. And today your heart is crying out for refreshment. Today your heart is bleeding to sense the closeness of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you that today can be the start of your journey to Zion. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You can repent. You can ask God to forgive you. You can ask him to draw you close to himself. And you can start today making COVID-19 the best days of your life. Remember the point, when your heart is set on the things of God, he will enable your feet. Ask him today for the grace to genuinely believe, and I believe this is the point, and with this I close. Ask him for the grace today to genuinely believe that one day in his presence is better than thousands elsewhere. Because when we believe that, it will change our lives. Would you stand with me as we pray? I pray, Father, that you would cause this song to just be embedded in our hearts, that true 
life transformation will take place because of your word. Your word will not return void. So, Father, please do your work. For those that have experienced a drawing near and an affection and a warmth in the presence of Christ over these last 16 weeks, I pray that they would rejoice in your grace. And if there's anyone here who has not, but in fact has enabled these days to be days of wasteland and desert, remind them, Father, that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners that plunge beneath that flood will lose all their guilty stains. Draw us close to yourself, dear Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please hear the word of God as you are dismissed. And I remind you to start at the back and make your way out. This is from Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, as gardens cause what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Amen. You are dismissed.